Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of This Is Your Captain Speaking. Today, I have somebody very interesting. I'm Caitlin Cassidy from Beyond. She's the VP of Marketing there, but I'll just take a run, run down through the highlights here real quickly, Caitlin, before we get started. So Caitlin was the Director of Corporate Marketing at Locadia, which is now an up-to-epo company, a Senior Director of Content Communications and Community of Formation. And now, since the past year almost, so October 2022, you started up Beyond as a VP of Marketing. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Excited to chat about this today. Sure. Tell us a little bit about what you guys at Beyond do. Yeah, Beyond is revenue management software for the vacation rental industry. So if you are a ho like a family that you own a vacation rental and you want to rent it out on days that you are not using the house yourself, um, we help you just make sure you dynamically price it correctly, that your distribution strategy is there. And that you have all the market insights you need to make better business decisions about how and when you want to rent it and really just maximize the profit you can make off of it. Uh, we also work with professional property managers and do the same thing, but at a much greater scale. So if you're a professional property manager and you've got 100 or 200 listings, um, we have a much more robust suite of tools um, that really help you um, work through your revenue management strategy, where you're looking at driving revenue for your business, maximizing profit for your owners, and really just gaining intelligence on the market so that you can continue to evolve. Um, as, as we look at the global real estate market right now, it's been a bit volatile. Mm -hmm. um, there's an increase in supply on the vacation rental side. And so really at Beyond, our goal is to help our customers really automate the things they need to automate so they can focus on creating powerful guest experiences and running the true strategy of their revenue management, um, as opposed to having to like, you know, take every second of every day to wonder if they're priced correctly or if the website's converting at the right rate, things like that. Interesting. Okay. So like what I'm hearing from you, you run as a marketer, almost like a B2B and a B2C model, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> Yeah, a little bit. I would say on our host side, um, I'd consider it almost like B2B2C. So it is a business for these folks. So yeah. it's not true B2C in the sense of, um, you know, like the apps that I decide to go buy when I'm, you know, feeling like, hey, maybe I should meditate more. Maybe I should invest in the sure, call. Sure, sure. But it is, it is an interesting um interesting experience for me. I come from a more heavily B2B side for the past, let's call it decade. Um, and so it's definitely been an interesting challenge for me to look at these two disparate audiences. There are a lot of similarities, but again, it's like the professional, more enterprise side versus those where it's maybe them starting a business and they're trying to grow it, or it's they consider it their side hustle for retirement or their fun money or things like that. So it's interesting. So you've got like almost like a volume SMB play. Which is your, which is your, your those guys that you're talking about doing side hustle that just started their own businesses, etc. And then you've got the low volume or lower volume distributor play, who are the the guys that are that are property rental agencies, basically, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so it's definitely um, it's an interesting challenge in terms of uh, there's a lot of our messaging and a lot of our like core storytelling that can be similar across both, but then you always have to think about the nuances once you get into kind of like the middle of the funnel, that's where we start to see like differences in terms of like, what's the message we're trying to get out to them? What actions will actually help them um, become like, a, you know, more of a long-term customer? What are those like sticky point moments for us to really like help convert them? That's painful as a marketer because I've, I've done something similar. So I worked with an organization where, where, we acquired a service. So we were a tech company that acquired a services company. Okay. And it was like going after. So I'll tell you what the company was. One side of the, so the, the tech was offering technology that helps executive assistants like 
basically structure everything much easier and better and it connects lots of different tools together. Easy enough, right? To, and that was being sold into enterprises, right? Then you've got the services company, which is service, like EA as a service, executive assistant as a service. So like one audience is executive assistants, the other audience is executives. Executive assistants from enterprise, executives from SMBs. So like one website and trying to describe everything. Now it's slightly different to what you've just described there, like, but similar, right? From a marketing problem perspective, like trying to come up with the message that suit both audiences. Honestly, yeah, it does sound really similar. And I think <laughs> as you mentioned, like the biggest challenge I find for it, because once you start like creating like omni-channel campaigns or thinking about the pathways people take, it's easy to kind of segment like, okay, for this, we're speaking with more of our host audience. Here's the message. Here's like the trigger points within the app and within our email flows that we know make the most sense. Um, <laughs> the biggest challenge that I still feel like I haven't nailed yet is um, website. Like it's your storefront. It's your brand for your business. Um, and also we need to give them two very distinct paths. It's not working as well as I would want it to yet. I think we <laughs> improvements, but it's truly, yeah, it's, it's hard because it's like, there is the same, what we're, what I'm challenged with and what my team is challenged with is like our overarching value proposition is the same. We are here to help you make more money, revenue with your vacation rental business, no matter the size of it. That said, how we do that is dependent on what size of business you are. And so that's where we're really trying to think through, like, how do we make sure that that messaging resonates for everyone when they land on the homepage, but we very quickly bifurcate the journey for them. Um, we have some backend things to like help make sure people get in the right flows because inevitably it's not working <laughs> all the time. It's not, we don't have a hundred percent success yet. That's a, it's going to be a massive struggle. Like that's like, I understand the struggle. I've been through the struggle and I'm like, oh God, it's, it's like, it'd be just so much clear cut if it's right like, now. we just go after these guys, like just these guys and these guys are all alone and they're, they're the market, you know, but it's, especially even like, let's get into other nitty gritty pieces here. Cause this is exciting, right? For us at least maybe for everybody listening to this, this is like, what are they talking about? Pricing models, right? Pricing models for that even. And the whole commercial model, like that's another piece of the jigsaw, another mess that needs to be sorted out because you've got one audience where you've got a specific commercial model for, and then you've got a different audience where a completely different commercial model needs to be put in place for. Is that, is that the case as well? How are you getting on with that? Yeah, we have, um, <laughs> it's similar pricing structure. So it's not quite as bad as that for us. Um, it's more just like the scale of like when your volume play happens there, like we do have the ability to do more customizations. So we we don't, it doesn't sound like it's quite as painful as what you went through. Um, the thing we do though, is that like we have multiple audiences, but we also have multiple, we're a multi-product solution. So like we have people looking at like, well, maybe I just want to start with dynamic pricing. And then we have other folks who are like, oh, I want dynamic pricing, but also I do want to use your um booking engine for my website because I need to worry about conversions as well. And then you start like running into those different pricing models of what makes the most sense, what's usage-based versus subscription-based. Um, and then how does that all stitch together on a plans page? How does it stitch together with the messaging we roll out? And then just working in general with like our backend team to make sure as we roll new products out, it's like, wait, how does this flow into all of the various backend pieces to make sure that we're capturing who's using what product and that everything's flowing correctly. Oh, it just flows. It just yeah. flows. You know, it's like, 
here you go marketing sorted out that's <laughs> yeah being there are you are, are you guys like so across those two audiences are you running the same sort of model in terms of a sales led or a product led model or no they are different so for our true more like enterprise b2b side it is a sales led model where it's very traditional we have our mql and inbound flows we pass it off to a bdr team we've got a really incredible cx team that takes over post sale um but on the smaller side of the business, the B2B to C side, um, it is a bit more product-led growth. So we have like a really robust growth acquisition engine. Um, we do have, uh, we call them our host sales squad. Um, we do recognize again, because it's a bit more complex than just like, I want to download a meditation app. We do recognize there's a, there was a gap where people didn't quite understand, like they understood the value they wanted, but they weren't really getting up to speed as quickly. Um, so we've increased both our in-app um, marketing materials, educational videos, things like that to really help people get up to speed. But we also do now have a, a like a sales squad that kind of help step in and make sure they understand like, okay, let's get you like all of your listings enabled. Let's get you up and running. Let's actually make sure that like all of your um, information is actually in the right places and running the way you want it to. So we've definitely seen that as um, a lever that we hadn't been pulling before, like that team just started this year. And so, as you mentioned at the beginning, I'm, I've been here less than a year and they're newer than I am, but we're already seeing really great um, gains from that just in terms of like customer adoption, which is helping our long tail um, lifetime customer value. Got it. That's, I'd like to focus on that product led piece for just a minute, because I, I think it's interesting, the volume play. How is how is it structured? Are, are you guys offering a free trial? Uh, what's the what's the call to action for the for, yeah. for those? So interestingly, we had a thirty day free trial for a really long time, and it performed pretty well. But we, our growth team, had a hypothesis that if we actually did a credit versus a trial, we'd show them impact faster. So we set, started testing it earlier this year. We kind of bifurcated like um, a couple of our search channels, and they got like a fifty dollar credit. Um, to use. And basically that's, you use that up. And then once you've used that um, within our, uh, you know, within the product, then you start getting invoiced. Basically um, we ran the two adoption was greater with the credit. Um, we saw like more, like they started taking action faster. It was almost like the idea of like having the free money there solidified it in their head more of like, Oh, let me go test and try this. Whereas the 30 day trial what I think is that there wasn't enough urgency in there. Like they felt like, oh, I can sign up. I've got 30 days. I can come back and think mm. about this. Whereas like you sign up and you get a credit and you're like, okay, I've got 50 bucks. Like where's the harm in like testing this out and trying this, you know? And so we're actually seeing people um, dig in faster. And then once they've been using the credit, um, as we started to look at those two diverse audiences, there was greater usage as well. So they're signing in more often, they're making adjustments in the tool a bit better, which we know is predictive of them being a better long-term customer for us. Interesting. So bribery is the way, right? I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> Bribery, FOMO, so, all of the classic <laughs> marketing techniques. <laughs> no, that's, that, that is interesting because I've got some questions around that. So they get that $50, right? And mm -hmm. the $50 then goes towards being able to spend within the platform or is that something off their first bill? How does it, how does yeah. it work? Like what do they do with that $50? Great question. So we're usage-based models. So for every booking you get, we take 10 per, or we take 1%, not 10%, sorry. We take, we take 25%. 25%. Yeah. <laughs> 
Good. One percent, one percent, one percent. Good. Exactly. So those $50 of credits go towards the for the one percent that we charge. So if you get a booking for one night and you are charging $100, we take $1 of that. So that would only be $1 off your credit. So basically what that $50 is, is like for the first $50 that we would have invoiced you to utilize our product and get dynamic bookings using our product, um, that goes towards those first $50 that we would have invoiced you. So um, that's actually where we think the power is with it, is it's getting people in and using the tool correctly right away because they want to maximize mm -hmm. what they're getting with those $50 of credit. And that gets them sticky. So yeah, so there's always in that in that volume play, there's always like, what's the thing that gets them to come back and perform a specific action? Or what is the action that needs to happen in order to get them to come back again and perform the same thing again? Mm -hmm. And there's always that like one turning moment within a volume product where it's like, aha, now is the time that we're going to see. It. And if they don't make it to that stage, you yes. know, you're going to lose most of them, right? That's the, exactly. it's the interesting we're thing. We're doing some really deep analysis right now just to try and better understand. Like, as I mentioned, you know, I, this particular audience was secondary. So like when Beyonce first started, we started with the professional um, property managers and then moved downstream into this B2B2C motion. We've seen a lot of like good indicators that this is a growing area for us. We're seeing a lot of traction. We've done some tests like with the $50 credit um, to show us like, okay, that is like to your exactly what you said, it's like, we got to get them sticky in the beginning. And that's just creating like stronger, more active customers. Um, what we're doing now is trying to like actually unpack some of the first like three to four months, which we know are the most critical. Like if they see value in those months, they're going to be a long-term customer. They're going to be an advocate for us. Um, and so on the like life cycle side, I still feel like I don't have as good of an understanding about like, what are the actions that they should be taking in month one, month two, month three, that will predict that long-term um, value and usage. So I think we know some of them, but we still don't quite understand where they are on the journey, which is the fun, but also infuriating part of product-led growth is it's a lot harder to, like, you don't have a CSM talking to somebody every day where you can go in and get some of that information more readily. Um, you're trying to get people to do surveys. You're trying to look at like, what actions they're taking within the product and um, assess like what are some trends you're seeing there. And product data is normally a mess. That's my experience <laughs> with it. Trying to get that data out of the product to be like, okay, show me this. Like, uh, <laughs> no. Yeah. I am lucky that like we have an incredible product team here and that because we have this volume play, they've started to build a lot of that in. So I would say at least 50% of the time when I'm like, how are we doing this? Someone can at least try and get in there and help me figure it out. Um, there, I do feel like we definitely uncover some spots though, where we're like, hey, can we pull this field out so that we can start marketing against it? And everyone was like, uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> what I do love about Beyond is there's a lot of like, mm, let's go figure it out together. It's just maybe that like, it takes a bit longer than I wanted to, so. That's good, that's good. It's like, how do you find it? Because like looking at your, at your CV or looking at your resume, it's been mostly coming from, from enterprise size deals background, right? Similar to myself. And I've also then dipped my toe into the volume SaaS model, right? Which is a completely different world, right? As a marketer. And I underestimated the difference because, and actually when people ask me, what's the main difference? It's the customer acquisition costs. So uh, if you're going after enterprise companies, you can spend a lot more going after one company, right? Because they're going to pay you a lot more. Right. So simple efficiency metric of, let's say, lifetime value to customer acquisition costs. If you're operating at three times lifetime value to one time the 
customer acquisition costs, you're doing well. Like every investor would be like, well done, right? <laughs> you're efficient and we're going to make our money back. However, on the, uh, on the, on the other play, on the, on the volume play, like you've got like one chance typically to bring them through the funnel. And then you, you leave them. You're like, you're like to do retargeting or to, to go and spend on SDR resource or seller's resource to go after those companies again, or those people again, pumping up those customer acquisition costs, which you can't afford. So like you could be dropping your, your efficiency metric down to not 0.9 to one, which means you're losing money. You're being inefficient. You're being unprofitable. So like, how has that been for you? Because for me, that was really tough. I was like, Oh shit. Like I underestimated this. Like, are you feeling the same? (laughs) Feeling the exact same way. Like I was used to looking at CAC numbers that were much, much larger because we sold, you know, six figure deals at a lot of the companies I've worked at over the past decade. Like our ASP was so much higher. Um, So yeah, for me, I think it was really wrapping my head around the fact that we have two distinct business models. Like we have, you know, we sell the same product, as I mentioned, it is very much like the similar value proposition at the highest level, but the way we model out those two sides of the business is completely different. So like I'm looking at like marketing generated pipe, close one cost in association with my enterprise CAC. And then on the volume side, our product led growth side, we're looking at like, what's our payback period, um, which channels are performing better. We've done some tests where we've recognized like where our convert, like we have like a five-step funnel basically to get people from that first sign up all the way to like, yes, we consider you an active engaged customer, figuring out which of those sections were where like we needed to be optimizing our ads for. And it, that's just something admittedly, like I didn't have a great background in. I've worked with team members that did it before. Um, I'm very lucky. We have an incredible growth marketer here who's admittedly taught me the, some of the like rules of the road on like some of those like ad lover side that I knew at a theoretical level, but hadn't had to worry about as much. And so it is definitely, I would say that's probably the steepest learning curve for me is wrapping my head around like these two distinct motions that were running through marketing while still using similar storylines and all of that kind of stuff too. Oh, tough a lot to think about there. That's uh, I like, I understand, like I, I can completely connect to what you're trying to achieve there. And it's a, uh, it's a challenge, like fair play. That's a, that is a, a big challenge to be able to keep things on track on both sides because it's essentially running two business models or two different businesses almost, right? So yeah, um, exactly. And it's thinking through like marketing at beyond, like at most companies, like we are more of a horizontal business unit. It's like we stretch across geos, we stretch across a bunch of different teams. And so for me, it's not just thinking about those two motions, but it's like, how do I structure my team and their processes in an efficient way so that we can do more with the team we have and actually support those two different business models? Got it. Okay. Well, hey, I, I want to dig into something from your past here because I look into your, your resume a little bit here. But by the way, that was a really interesting conversation about Beyond. It was, I really enjoyed that. Um, but like, just in the interest of time, I want to dig into a bit of some of the stuff that you did in the past. So I see there was a rebranding of a certain company that I won't name because they're a direct competitor. But you managed to uh, you managed to increase inbound inquiries by double. You basically doubled inbound inquiries via rebrand. Let's take a look at that. So, so first off, why, when did you realize first? Oh, we need a rebrand. Was it everybody telling you, or were you like, I need to do it? No, yeah, it was. Um, it was a slow progression. I'll say actually is like we we started looking at like how are we making noise in the market. 
Um, where, where were we finding some issues? Um, we were expanding our product set. So there was already kind of a natural like understanding of like, how are we adjusting product positioning? And there was all these different features that kind of started rolling in. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, oh shit, <laughs> we need to do this. Like mm -hmm. this is happening, whether we like it or not. Because we went into it a little bit like <laughs> backwards, I would say, um, we really started to try and understand like, okay, if we're going to do this, like we didn't come at it head first of like, great, we have an agency in place. We're going to do these things. Like, like I said, it was like all these little things started and all of a sudden it was like, oh God, I think we're three months down the road of a rebrand. And like, I think we all just realized that at this point. So mm -hmm. what we really tried to do at that point was step back and understand what do we want to get out of this? Like, we shouldn't be doing this just to make the website look prettier, basically. Like, what do we want to get out of this? And so we did identify, like, there was confusion about some of our product positioning. And so that narrative and that in that component of the visual and written brand really needed to be addressed. Um, the other piece of it was that um, the company had been around for a while. Like, we we had some of the, like, legacy brand value and brand perception, um, but we were really we're struggling to grab people's attention and kind of get that why now component out there. Like people understood marketing budgeting, huge problem, <laughs> very like nerdy marketing ops, technical type of conversation, but marketing budgets are the largest discretionary cash flow at any given business for the most part. And people don't realize that. And then you realize that people are running marketing budgets out of spreadsheets. And that's like millions of dollars being run out of a Google sheet. And it's like, okay, great. So what we were trying to do with the rebrand is like, how do we make this very dry, unsexy concept pop more? And so with the rebrand, we took it as an opportunity to, again, like we honed in on like our visual um, visuals. We made them a lot brighter. We made them bigger and thicker and bolder, even from like a, just like the fonts we were using. Like we really were looking at how do we pop more? How do we stand out more? Like it's an industry event heavy industry at the time. It was like, how do we just like get in people's face more with the visual brand and make them understand the power of the tool? Um, and the other side was all the tone. And so for us, like the tone was really a problem. We'd struggled. There'd been multiple iterations of it. Um, we had some really opinionated um, leaders in different places that we were trying to figure out, like, how do we make sure that their personal brand tone can remain the same while making sure we have a more holistic brand tone as well. So what we did was like, we worked cross collaboratively to figure out like, where did all of that fit in? Um, and at the same time, we used that opportunity to like rip our website apart and really take that story of the brand and like the brand value and start to feed it into an actually like more thought out journey. Um, I used to refer to that website as Frankenstein because like you could just see all these places we bolted on a good idea here and there. And that was actually how that's to your call out of like the inbound that I think was the biggest piece is like, we took the rebrand story of like, who are we, what are we trying to do here? What is our value in market? And then I built a website flow with about a thousand other people. So I say I, because I was project leading it, but it was truly a cross collaborative effort to get that out there. Um, so that combined with just like a massive demand push around it um, is where we actually saw a huge spike in inbounds. And what myself and our demand leader were thrilled about is that it stayed. Like we were a little concerned. We were like, yeah, we'll see a pop like right at the beginning because everybody wants to come in and check it out. Um, but we actually maintained um, those increased levels with our rebrand, which was really cool. Nice, 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 nice. Thanks for sharing that. That's super interesting. And did you work, did you work with externals on it or was it purely an internal project? Uh, we had a few external um, support as well, like consultant just on some of the tone piece. 
Um, and then we did bring in a graphic design firm to really help make sure that we thought through the entire visual brand um, component. Like not just not just pretty logos, but like what is our philosophy on like what style of photography, how that is represented in different places um, throughout the customer journey. Sure. Yeah, that's that's solid. I mean, you need to have those brand guidelines in place. So like, and it needs to be it needs to be thought through, right? So the problem is, it, it's Frankenstein, is what you said. I see that across a number of organizations. Like, oh, let's use an icon here, and let's use a a, a graphic here, and let's use that there, and everything looks like slightly different. Then you look at it, and you're like, oh god, you know, I I get that, I get that. I yes. 100% can relate to that as well. But hey, look, we're right up on time now. So I don't, I don't want to take any more of your time, Caitlin. This has been really, really interesting. Thank you so much for sharing your experience and sharing what, what's going on at Beyond at the moment. Where can people find you if they want to find you? Yes. If you want to check out Beyond Pricing, it's beyondpricing.com. And if you want to find me on LinkedIn and nerd out further on product-led growth, storytelling, any of the above, LinkedIn at Caitlin Cassidy. What I'll do is I'll make sure that both of those links go in the description. And uh, yeah, it's been really, really great speaking with you, Caitlin. Thank you so much. And yeah, uh, yeah. thank you. Guys, this has been another episode of This Is Your Captain Speaking. Tune in again next week for more great content. Thanks, Caitlin. Bye.